You're listening to the Grossed Out Podcast with Rob Gross. It's me. I'm Rob Gross. Welcome to another episode of the Grossed Out Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Gross. I'm really excited today to talk about one of my favorite bands with one of my favorite people. I have the wonderful Dan Thompson from the band Sparrows on the podcast today to talk about, and Dan, drum roll, please. Oh, we're going to talk about Cave-In. We're going to talk oh. about cave We're going to talk about Cave-In so hard. So uh, hard. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm excited because this is one of my favorite bands too. And um, it's like, I think I mentioned in another episode, like Thrice, Cave-In is a band that I feel being in the same age group that I've grown with, whether they know that or not, as, as their tastes have matured and progressed and whatever you want to call it. I feel like I've been right there with them. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited. So let me give you a little background on Dan. Dan Thompson is a musician, Canadian, of course, cave-in enthusiast from uh, originally from a small, small town, Ontario, now living in Toronto. He's a uh, front man of Canadian space post-hardcore thing. Thing I love that. Uh, Sparrows and has spent the better part of 20 years touring around North America. Caven and Dan have had what people will describe as a problematic, obsessive, slightly over the top relationship that has impacted Dan's life, both from a musical and ideals perspective. And he says, and I really love big riffs, which is I love a good fucking pun. So, Dan, welcome to the Grossed Out podcast. Uh, I'm so happy to be here and so happy to be doing this. I mean, we. When Sparrows was super active, we had you on our podcast to kind yeah. of do the same thing. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to kind of go the other way with it now. Uh, and also, none of my friends want to talk to me about this anymore. So, like, <laughs> it's nice to have a fresh a fresh person to talk to. No, man, it, it, it's awesome because I think as, you know, as you as a touring musician and recording musician and obviously pulling, they're an influence on, on, on Sparrows. And whether you told me you were a fan or not, it's in an obvious way that's not like you can see where you're pulling from and it's not and that's not as like hey you guys are ripping off Caven. not saying that oh, i fucking love your band and you know that <laughs> i just feel that Caven has become what failure was before them where they're so hyper um influential on a select group of people where and to the point where I talked about in a previous episode too, where they're one of those bands where I don't even think people that are listening to bands today even know that these guys basically invented them and Zayo, but more Caven invented metalcore. And yeah, you know, it's, they're so influential. But to me, it's also like they invented a bunch of different ways to do stuff too. Like just as a musician Absolutely. and what you're talking about to me, like I'm in, I'm probably in the youngest zone of age of people that would be a diehard cave-in fan because I, I yeah. come in late and yeah. yet you can see when you start to look back, like not only metalcore, but also like the way that heavy music brings in spacey stuff, the way that they bring in like these non-traditional riffs and different things. Yeah. Cave-in's been doing it since 1997, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's a, there's a very large sect of bands that don't realize that this is where this has kind of come from, but that's every age group. You know what I mean? Like there's Absolutely. fans that I don't know about that if that created parts of what I've done and what you like and all these things. Of course. Um, but to me, Caven is the one that is the most notable that yeah. the most people seem to not get or not uh, understand. Like it's just out of their realm or just out of that zone 
for my age group, at least, I guess. No, totally. I, I remember being in that time zone where they were making that shift because I came in late. Uh, a buddy of mine, Eric Risk, we were in bands together through through college, still really close. He's in a bunch of death metal bands in Brooklyn. He was the one that turned me on to cave in at college radio in Jacksonville. And he was like, hey, come to this show with me. And it's this little venue called Jackrabbits. And my band used to play there. His band used to play there, our collective, whatever. You get the point. And it's still there. Shithole, like a fucking shithole. Yeah. But it's a rite of passage. And <laughs> Kaven was touring there on the Jupiter tour. And it was in the audience was me, my buddy, Eric, I think like one other guy. And then like the bar back, the door guy, and then like some other dude. And they played a good two plus hours. And I didn't know about until your heart stops. I didn't know about that. So to me, it was like, oh my God, these guys sound like failure on steroids. Holy shit. And also what a to see a band go just full on for basically two people that just in my, and then to find out later that they were my they're my age that yeah. just it solidified so much in my mind of what i wanted the path i wanted to go on and just what i wanted to be a part of i like i want that i want that kind of those balls to do that you know and like you know it was them and like embodiment those are the only two bands that were <laughs> making this switch like literally yeah. they were a death metal band embodiment and then turned into like a pop band basically I mean, in, in a complimentary way, but man, of course. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. Oh, sorry. See, what on. you're, what you're talking about there is something that I have such a crazy hang up about just in life. And it, that's kind of why I was mentioning, like, it's not just a music thing for me. There's like an attitude and a, and a, like a, a decision-making process in the guys in cave in and how they've handled themselves because it bums me out so bad to go see a band that I'm super into and no matter, they just don't play. They just don't put right. a show. They don't do that thing. And I feel like um, that sect of, uh, of the world uh, uh, in music, just, they didn't care. They're just like, we're, we're here. We're going to do this. We're going to put it together. And I, I get really bitter when that doesn't happen anymore. But I also think like it's a, we're in a different world of music too. Right. So oh, yeah. different ways and different things that appeal to people. But I, it's just funny that you touched on that right away. Cause in the back of my head this whole time, I was like, ah, I better not say anything about that. I better not come off like that guy, you know? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's totally understandable. I mean, they, you know, look, and they were coming from a world that was much, you know, there's so much coming out of that part of the country. I remember when I was working oh, yeah. college radio, like when I, when this all happened, they were, they were still in Hydrahead. And I remember getting this sampler. There was, I still have it. It's Hydrahead and Tortuga recordings. So it was like mm. the little sub label, whatever, mm. but it was like cave in ISIS botch. Um, there was shit from the Boston area, like Sam black church tree, all this shit. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on in the Northeast? Because Again, it was new metal's height. I was living in the epicenter of new metal in Jacksonville, Florida. And you know, prior to that, it was like, cool, we have my scene, the Seattle scene and whatever you want to call it. And like the Houston hip hop scene was bubbling and there's always been, you know, other you know scenes, but I didn't know about what was going on in Massachusetts. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously what, what turned into metalcore with Killswitch, Unearth, you know, Shadows Fall, whatever. But it was just that sampler was a fucking game changer. And there's like B-sides and like bands playing live on like whatever the local college college station is up there. Like that thing is probably like a fucking artifact at this point. It, it's funny that you bring that up because that's literally how I found out about Cave In mm. was, do you remember those Plea for Peace compilation CDs? Yes, yes I have okay. that one too. 
so I have it's number two or number three. I think it's number two where it's got that Annie flag song that was on every compilation <laughs> record ever. Nine one one for peace or whatever. Totally. Um, yep. But I was a huge piebald fan. Oh, hell and yeah. Piebald has American hearts on that record on that CD. And so if I saw piebald on anything, I would just mm -hmm. buy it. Yeah. Um, and it was just kind of a little zone because with the city that I grew up in, there was a scene, mm -hmm. but it was like a bunch of local bands that were in essence, like it, whatever was popular on, on much music, which is your, our MTV. Sure. Yeah. Um, or I'm, like, I'm well acquainted with much music. Thank you. I mean, to be fair, I, you are probably more than most people. I've had these things in my head. That um, is, that is, no, no, you, you're, you're, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless you're along the border, like I know people from Buffalo that know m much music like crazy for obvious reasons, yeah, yeah, of but course. like, I mean, in LA, why would you care? You know? Why, uh, like, why did I have this in Jacksonville, Florida? Like, I don't know why I yeah. had it. I would stay up all night watching like Matthew Good videos and like, Oh yeah. I, um, I don't know what, any, anyway, I, I anyway. <laughs> Um, But yeah. So like the, the, the scene that I existed in, in high school was a bunch of, uh, you know, bands that were either like Mall Screamo or the run before that, which basically sounded like Shy Halud, which is great because I yeah. love Shy Halud and I like that whole thing growing up. And then every once in a while, we'd have a band from out of town that would come out that would sound like Sunny Day Real Estate or something like that. And it was great. Yeah. But the exposure level of where we found all these bands, kind of the same as you, where you're like, what's going on over here? The only way we found out was through this kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. we had and so we used to just buy them no matter what was on there. Whatever, if, if you found one band that you like, you bought the whole thing. Of course. And yeah. so that's how I found out about Cave In because there's a B-side from uh, Antenna on there. Mm -hmm. And so I used to listen to that song repeatedly and then I bought Antenna and hated it and didn't <laughs> listen to it and disappeared on Cave In for like five to seven years. Wow. And so when you talk about being late, like I was super late to the party. Well, that's well. That that I love that you you brought all this up because this is so. This is you just opened up like a the the can of worms here because basically <laughs> you came in to a band like I came in late and then you came in later when they'd already shifted, yeah. And that's I fucking from the the note the second I heard it I loved Antenna because I I saw the progression happening. Obviously, like I didn't see it happening from you know, fucking juggernaut into what like dark driving or something like that. But mm -hmm. I, but I saw the transition happening from Jupiter then. And then I was, Oh, creative eclipses. They literally made an EP to bridge the gap. Yeah. And see it's in hindsight, that. totally makes sense yeah. when you see it all and you can go back. But I remember buying it thinking from that. Uh, what is it? Devil devil's head pinata is the song. I think. Yeah, that's right. I remember thinking like, Oh, this is going to be dirty, but like Foo Fighters, it was, and I just remember listening to it going, this is way too polished. Like this mm -hmm. is not in the zone. I Cause at that point in time, I was listening to like planes mistaken for stars and like, sure. Small brown bike, you know, like grungier, wow. not grungier sounding recordings, not grungier bands, but just like right. dirty, gross kind of things. And so it just didn't appeal to me, but where I got back in is planets of old. Because mm. that's a weird EP, but it's heavy. Damn, you came back in with a weird one too. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's been the whole thing. Is like whenever I talk to people about this, they always kind of laugh at me because I just like I every single Cave In record I like for a different reason. Yeah. But you would think that it would be the same as you, where it's like I hit that point and then I kind of grew with it and I did the backwards motion. You know, sure. like I got in and then went backwards through the rest of the discography and then from there kept up with them. 
So, I mean, well, you could say that what you've done is more traditional to what the band has actually done, because I'm looking at it through my own filter. What you're, which, I mean, that's what we all do, right? But I think with what you've done, they've done this weird snaky thing with how their careers progressed. It's almost like they went as far as you could go with touring with Muse and Foo Fighters. And they took that, I guess for them, a poppy thing as far as you could go. And then they're like, wait a minute, we can write fucking bangers and then rca was like what is this keep this shit (laughs) and that's perfect pitch black which is like everything to me but they just seem to it it, to me it wasn't until that record which is just a collection of demos basically that's where they hit their stride for me where they're like cool now we can balance everything that we've done it would almost be like if metallica somehow well i mean they almost did they combined all their sounds onto this last record onto hardwire there's something that could be long on load on that record there's there's like the justice for all like thrashers on there and so mm-hmm. and so i think that that's what they'd finally become comfortable at least from a listener's perspective they'd become comfortable enough to like do the the brodsky beatlesque stuff and then do the punky shit that adam brings in it felt like in a like okay cool now we're pu- pulling from our side projects too it's the confidence record to me. Oh, 100%. like picture person is just like they're they're like we don't care anymore. You know, like yeah. we we this is what we do now, and I I love that. Like as a musician, that's the dream, right? Like you oh, yeah. you, you want to be able to get away with doing that and have it work. And I think considering how odd their overall just trajectory of writing music, like the fans that were there that stuck through this whole thing, they're staying around to the end anyway. They've bought oh, yeah. into the fact that Cave In is what it is. You know. Yeah, um, but I think you're right. Like that record doesn't. It, it sounds like Cave In, but it also sounds like Zazobra and you know, like what, Pet Genius or whatever. Like there's so yeah. many different weird ones in there, and totally. uh, I, I mean, I love it for that. But I think, I think honestly, based on where my tastes were and as things were going, if that's where I had come back in, I think I would have lost interest again. But it's I, just I looking that. at myself, yeah. And when I start to like take apart the discography, like there's stuff that I love, there's stuff that I like, but it's all good. And it's all like kind of mood music to me. Mm-hmm. But like, I tend to go towards, like, I love White Silence. I love Ugh. that record. I love it's just so about good. everything about it. Even yeah. the weird stuff to me makes sense to my brain. Like that oh, yeah. track is just like, what the fuck? Well, but, that, like, that sets the stage. Exactly. And then the whole record goes, but like the EPs, the everything, like everything that's there again, in the grand scheme of looking at it, all makes sense. And then when you take that band in as a whole, it's like, yes, okay, I get this, you know. Dude, it's so, now that I'm talking, I've never talked this through with anybody. (laughs) So it's like all these (laughs) thoughts have been in my head for so many years. But that's, that's the thing, is that they've always carved their own path and really not given a fuck they're like, okay, cool, come along or, or don't. And I remember yeah. specifically, it was like 2005, Perfect Pitch Black wasn't out yet, or 2004, whatever, it was, it was a long time ago. And I was living in Florida again, and I went by myself from Fort Lauderdale, or I was in Coral Springs to West Palm and like deep into West Palm, so like a good hour and a half away. And they were playing this bar that I'd never been to. And the back of the bar was an outdoor venue where, I mean, easily at some point, I, I gators had to be able to swim up and like, it had to be a problem because it was on this man-made lake at a slope, but the place was packed out and it's hot as fuck. It's Florida summer or winter. It doesn't even matter. It's like a million degrees. And the it's lineup hell. was just, it's hell. And the lineup was yeah. ridiculous. It was in this order between the buried and me cave in and converge and 
they to that point to me they were still antenna that this was like they were done touring antenna but this was like a bridging the gap thing and i didn't i wasn't it was you're not as savvy as you are now i wasn't following set list fm i wasn't like so i get there and they start playing juggernaut and i remember specifically watching the the crowd go oh my god like they're back and steve was just like grinning ear to ear watching the pit just go and they they debuted uh ataraxia that night oh and nice yeah, yeah. I, I was like, what the fuck is happening? And that's it just every time that I see them, it just renews my love for the band because they were having the it just seemed like they were always having the time of their lives, whether they weren't or whether they were. They always put forth that that energy that like, well, this is what we do for a living. We have a job to do. We came to fucking do it and we're going to do it better than anybody. Yeah, I, you know, I, I can't agree with you more. And again, I unfortunately have only ever seen them play once, which is heartbreaking to me. And it yeah. was after Caleb died. Like it was oh. the tour and they did the final transmission, which yeah. if I had to say, Nate is the only guy I think would that would have taken those and actually nailed it yeah. because they were stupid tight in Toronto. But I have tried on often on occasions to try and go see them uh, when they would, you know, do a random bun- bunch of shows here and there throughout the years. But I missed the the heavy touring years. I missed mm-hmm. the ones where they were out all the time. And um, sometimes I feel like I kind of got ripped off a little bit because Canada does sometimes get ripped off. When oh, not for sure. Tours come through, you know. But also, I th- I think because of how much I like, I didn't get that live experience. It just caused me to dig in more, you know, more and more. Cause there's a lot of bands that I am a little bit young for Uh, bands that I like failure. For example, I didn't see until maybe three years ago, but it's because I was late to the party with them too. I mean, I'm young. (laughs) Like, and I'm, I'm older than you and I still missed failure back in the day because I, they look, no, we've, I've talked about this ad nauseum and it, but it's fucking true. (laughs) Nobody wants to be in Florida. Like, I mean, mean, I'm sure there are people that do, but nobody wants to tour there because if you're a band that's doing club dates, it's a money pit. Like there's no way out. You literally have to drive down the shaft of the state and drive right back up it. And if you have a bad show or a bad turnout, you're now, you're now fucked. Yeah. So I never, I knew about failure. I own like the tapes and stuff and I fucking loved them, but I, it was cave in almost made me love failure more. If I, I, you know, I, uh, I feel the same way too. Uh, like Kenny Bridges is the one that showed me failure. Hmm. And that would have been maybe 2010 ish. That Kenny, and that makes sense. Kenny Bridges that, for sure. Big Kenny failure Bridges, fan. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he, cause we were talking about, uh, we were doing some recording and we were talking about how I wanted to make this cave-in sound that happens on this one song that, I mean, we don't need to go that deep into it, but, um, and he was explaining to me, he's like, oh no, that's the failure this. And I was like, who? And we stopped what we were doing and went upstairs into his, like into the upstairs of his house and sat down and listened to Fantastic Planet. Like, he's like, we're not going any farther until we listen through this. I mean, and, <laughs> and, I, and it just, it, it's kind of one of those things, like I said, things make sense more, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's the same thing. Like, Kaven, or, or excuse me, failure was dead at that point and they weren't yeah. doing anything. And they, like, it took years and years and years for them to go. And during their reunion tour, was the same time that I was moving from Ottawa to Toronto. So I kept taking days off to go down and I couldn't, John bought tickets and I couldn't get the day off to go down and meet him for the show. So I had to wait until the tour that was like when the new record came out, which again, still wasn't the worst thing in the world, but still. No, Um, no. 
but that's that's the same experience I have with Kaven, where it's like, oh, they announce a tour, but the closest they're getting is like Kentucky. Like, I'm not gonna fucking, I can't right. make it to Kentucky. You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck? I mean, oh, you're dude, playing Hellfest. I can't make it to that. Yeah, you know? I mean, like, I have. It's the worst. Last year, so this is. I mean, fuck. This is 2019, actually. So my brother's birthday is November 15th. He was turning 30, and he flew out. My mom flew out. So my brother flew out from North Carolina. My mom flew out from South Florida, and I didn't tell him, but it just so happened that the night of his birthday, November 15th, Caven was playing the Echoplex, which is now turning into higher uh, expensive condos. So RIP Echo uh, and Echoplex. Nobody really knows that, but it's it's been public news. It's just a bummer. That place is a shithole anyway, but it's like, it's my shithole, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> it's like low ceilings. Like I've been there one night with like Josh Hom was right next to me and his head's literally almost hitting the ceiling. And I'm like, <laughs> this is really dangerous. But um, I, I got tickets to the show. And yeah. so we spent... I got sick like two days before. I didn't know what the fuck was wrong with me. Like I had like a migraine. I signed an artist. And the second I got done signing the artist, I was like a in the photos, I'm like a different color. And I'm like greenish, grayish. It's bad. So I, I went home. I'm deathly ill. This was like some strain of the norovirus. I have, this was like, we were even thinking that I might've been pre COVID or an early strain. It was really bad. And yeah. like, I've never been this sick before. Mine. I had to go get fluids twice. So the next day I was like, okay, cool. Let's go to Disney. I'm feeling better. I can, I can hold this in. Let's go. Could not hold it in. Got sick at Disney. <laughs> um, hey, look, their, their, their medic center at California Adventure is top notch, but I'm sick. And it's yeah. like, we, the whole plan was to go there, take him out to an early birthday dinner at the park at like one of the nice restaurants there and then drive home and then take him to see Cave-In at the fucking Echoplex. And I had it all timed out and I had to let the tickets go to waste. And Ugh. I got, I mean, I was fucking sick. I lost like 10, I, mean, I, I lose like 10 pounds that week. Jesus. Yeah, it was bad. That's, that's so brutal. I didn't get to see that tour, but I did get to see the LA, like the, the, the tribute show wasn't yeah. supposed to be here. My buddy, Mark Vieira, who's on episode two with the, about Glenn Danzig, he got me in and we just, I know Mark a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. You yeah. do know Mark. We yeah. just stood side stage watching this fucking thing and like in, in tears and it, it just, it was so powerful. It's it's one of those, like I watched it here from home. I watched both of them from home because again, uh, getting tickets were like four four minutes and they were sold out or something. Yeah. And I, I would have loved to do it, but uh, there's some times where you got to be an adult, which sucks. Um, it but does. There is, there, I, you could tell it was one of those things where it's like, I wish I was there because I feel like the vibe would be that much uh, more powerful. But like the fact of who's even just involved with it and how intertwined all those bands and people and all these things are like, it's just crazy to me. And that's not really something that exists in Canadian music that much. You know, there's little sex of things, but like though all of those guys basically grew up together, they all know each other. So like, not only is it like we're trying to do this thing for our friend, but it's also like everybody was there from day one you know what i mean so yeah I, th it's just that much heavier because it's not just like oh we're just doing this because he's a guy that we toured with or whatever it's like no we grew up with this dude totally and so i i'm a little sad that i missed that but i'm thankful that i got to see um you know the tour they were doing around it and also like i said i do think that nate did a, a really great job of feeling those shoes totally and um you know some of that some of the new stuff off final transmission it's because it's a little bit of a weird record too. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, okay, how's this going to pan out? How's this going to work live? And I, 
I feel like that's probably the only chance you're going to get to see some of that stuff live. Like, I feel like it's too weighted. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, look, they're in the studio now. They're in God. I think they're in God City right now. Doing, yeah. and it's, and it's like, <laughs> fuck. But at the same time, I think you're absolutely right. Like that record, I think Aaron Turner um, from ISIS, Split Cranium, Sumac, list goes on and on. I think it was him that said that this, he felt Final Transmission was their most complete record. Like it, it is, to me, it is a very strange record. And I and I mean yeah. that very complimentary. I mean, when you start of the course. record off with a voicemail of your, of your past bass player, Ugh. it's just... It's fucking heavy, but that record just, it flows in a way where they're not, I don't feel like they're fighting. There's not that push and pull that did make, that made, makes Cave-In so special, but mm-hmm. it's also amazing to hear them not do that. Yeah. Like to have the record just it's flow. Less plan, it's less planned out. And because of that, it somehow flows in a different way, but also smoothly. Yeah. It, it, you could, like they said, they're all demos. They're all pieces of songs and different things like that. And when you pay attention to even just how the track listing for a lot of Cave-In records goes, there is a feel to it. It's not all just bang, 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 bang. Okay, here's five soft songs. You know, like they've got it really laid out. And I feel the same way about Final Transmission is like a perfect layout for those songs. But like I said, I also, I uh, uh, maybe, um, what is it? Shake My Blood maybe might get played live. But like they played, I think, five songs off of that record in Toronto. And it's like, those aren't going to get played again. No. It's not going to happen. No, it's I, too much. you could even see it in their face while they were playing. It's just like this is too heavy. The weight for sure. And and also, yeah. you know, just from a logistical standpoint, they've got a catalog full of like absolute bangers. And when you start adding to it and adding to it, some songs are going to get the boot. It just happens. And there's yeah, like there's songs that are live staples from what I've seen or read that didn't get played. Right. And not that I'm one of those people, like I, if I'm going to see a band a bunch of times, I don't want to see them play all the same stuff all the time. Of course. But there are some songs, like if they're not going to play live and not play Big Riff, you know what I mean? Um, so I don't, has that ever happened? I mean, I, I, I've seen, every time I've seen them, uh, they've played Big Riff. I know there's a couple of live uh, like uh, videos on YouTube, say, where it's around the antenna release where they don't. Um, well, that, you know yeah, what I mean? No, totally. And they switched it a bit. At that point, Steve wasn't screaming at all. So Caleb would do the screaming parts. Like, so even when, when I saw them in, in West Palm, he was singing Juggernaut. And then when yeah. they did Big Riff, he would do like the, 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 that bridge verse or whatever it is. Um, yeah. I don't even, that, that song is just ungodly amazing. But that, yeah, it was just so it was cool to see Steve kind of take take the reins again for that. I, it was awesome. Yeah. It was just fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, I, like even just paying attention to like some of their live recordings. Like, I don't know if you have the uh, live at Great Scott, uh, which is I a do. Yep. CD, DVD or whatever. The um, the vocal duties in that video uh, are split differently than what's on the record even there you know like adam is doing some background vocals that on the record caleb was doing and like Uh, it's like they're very um willing to just see whatever works even if they've got a pre-established thing going on you know yeah well when you you have a a very interesting way for a band to be you know totally very unusual well it's like it's not dissimilar from like not to make a canadian i mean we don't have to do that but it's not dissimilar from alexis in a lot of ways because they do have three front men yeah, I mean, uh, my experience with Alexis, because I've seen them a ton, I'm here, yeah. you know, like I watched them grow up, basically. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't mean this in a, in a horrible way, but I feel like the spontaneity of how all that worked, the longer they've gone on, the more it's become a little stagnant. 
back in the day, it was chaos. Sure. And whoever was near a mic would do whatever part they could because they were bouncing all over the place. Whereas when you see them now, it's like Dallas is singing in Dallas. Wade is doing the Wade parts. Right. And that's fine. You know, it's a different show now. It's a, it's a much different beast than it was seeing them in Kingston, Ontario with like 45 other people. But sure. Yeah. Uh, but, but I feel like Kevin has always been like that, at least in my experiences and what I've seen. It doesn't matter how big or small they're playing, you know, Reading and Leeds, and it doesn't matter. You know, whatever it is. They just kind of go for it. I, I agree. And it's, there's just, yeah, there's an organic thing, not to sound douchey, but that's what it is. It feels, it feels that way. And then when they started getting into these, like doing all these side projects, like Steve's early solo records, and you mentioned Pet Genius, and I fucking love Clouds. And Zazobra is just, it's another level altogether. Like Zazobra's second yeah. record, Bird of Prey, is, that's everything I want out of whatever this genre is. Like, like the song, oh, the song sure. is in jet streams is gotta be, oh. that's, that's an all timer. And I'm so bummed. I know like, beggars can't be choosers, but I'm standing side stage. They're doing the bonus Zazobra set. It's like one 30 in the morning and, uh, or whatever it was. And, the, and like Aaron Turner and Jake Bannon are going back and forth. And I'm like, one of these motherfuckers has got to do in jet streams. It's like, that's the one did not it's get the played. bangest. It's, yeah, it's, the, it's the biggest of the bangers, you know, it is. And it, Ugh, it, yeah, yeah. It's just, I, I don't know, man. But, but so, so to, to go back for a second, so you planets of old is the one that, that, that kind of brought you back. What would you say is your favorite cave in record? Because that that's obviously an EP and, 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 and it is and, yeah. and, and, a, and a snapshot really. It is. And I uh, like, it, it kind of depends on what I'm looking for. Like hmm. I, I'm a very particular uh, just music fan in general. I'm sure you've picked up on being that, like that us being friends. If they're sure you picked up on that. Yeah. Uh, and everybody that I've ever been in a band with gets a little bit annoyed by it, but it's the same sort of thing. Like if I want to listen to a hardcore record, I will listen to until your heart stops because I do think it's better than a, a vast majority of the heavy stuff that's out there now. hundred percent. Um, there's so there's some uh, like Sumac is incredible, but it's a mm -hmm. different monster altogether. Uh, little yeah. things like that, you know, um, and it, it's, it's, there's something implanted in my head where it's just like, I know Kaven is doing it better, even though they did it 25 years ago or whatever. Right. Um, the one I probably listen to the most is white silence, mm -hmm. but it's also, um, it, it's, it's very particular. Like I go through little moods of things and like, don't get me wrong. I love Jupiter. Um, but there are songs on Jupiter that I wish weren't on there if that makes sense like that's probably my, yeah. my least favorite record of all of them if i'm being honest it's funny you say that i i think i've always felt that way because the production's so thin and mm -hmm. i remember they'd remixed jupiter the song jupiter and it yeah. was so much fatter and i'm like fuck the whole record they have to do this and the vinyl reissues that have happened over the years have definitely like, the, like i bought the last repress of it it, it is re it is definitely sounds a lot better yeah it does but to your point of wanting a band to not be so to be a little more rigid a little more loose white silence is that it is a filthy fucking record even the even like the beatlesque kind of bridge the gap kind of tunes yeah those are even filthy yeah it's it's one of those ones i i just like even the recording is grimy mm -hmm. um like because i'm pretty sure they did most of it in like a jam space or something like that um which i just there's something about that concept and that idea that i just love like oh you're just getting fucking dirty with shit uh but it goes from like vicious circles hardcore like basically circle pit song 
And then you have Summit Fever that follows like a couple of songs after it. That's just massive, almost like Big Riff Part 2 to me. Yeah. Um, and the entire record, like you can't really categorize it at all. Like Serpents is a crazy fucking banger as well. But Love White it. Silence, the song is so fucking weird. Like it's it's great, but it's so weird. But that's the thing. Right? I, the whole everything about that record was weird, and that is such a compliment because. Oh, I mean it with all the affection in the world. No, and I know yeah. you do. I mean, I can see it on your face. I mean, no one else is going to see it, but I fucking see it. But I remember when they rolled that out, the single, like the song they were, the first song they dropped was "Sing" was "Sing My Loves." It's eight minutes long, and it <laughs> that song. It, it not only is it eight minutes long to me, that's a top three top five caven song for me personally but also that song is caven that is it encapsulates every everything everything of the band is in that song all of it mm -hmm. i thought before that the only song that had really done that for me was like off to ruin i do like that song a lot too um but i i do agree with you uh sing my love is just it's got everything that they they've done on all records done to 10 like, you know, yes. like the big yes. brooding riff is there. Um, like it's got the end part where they just keep running on that baseline over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like that part is, is two and a half to three minutes of the song, you totally. know, and it, 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 that part makes everything else about that song that much better because you don't really, the first time you're hearing it, you don't know that part's coming. You don't no. know this big elongated thing is going along, but also it's just grimy and huge. Like there's no other way to describe it. No, totally. And that's, yeah, it's that might now that we're talking, I had a different answer and we're talking <laughs> it through. Wait, this might be my favorite cave in record also. Cause of me, it's always, it's been perfect pitch black. There's something about the way that they just literally like, I don't know the, the I don't want to pretend like I know the details and the intricacies of the deal. But what I do know at the time was that RCA records had a bunch of rock bands. They had cave in hot wire, Eve six. They had a bunch of just various levels of rock and yeah, they booted all of them except for like, I think Dave Matthews band was the survivor and cave in made the cut. And then if that's a cut to be made and then they make the cut, they turn in the demos and RCA is like, we didn't sign up for this. Like you, we're supposed to build off what, what antenna was, which was yeah. probably considered a commercial failure. And yeah, because the cave in loyal loyal didn't know what to do with it. And the new fans were like, they didn't know what to do with it because it wasn't poppy enough. Yeah, but it's pretty, but it's not it's not polished for that. Like you think about the records that came out around then, like big Foo Fighters records and all this stuff. And it's not quite there, but it's also not like a, an indie label release at that point. Like it's mm. it's kind of like the the worst of both worlds. Right. Because like, what do you do with a record that is a song that's, as to me is perfectly written as Youth Overrided, but then you have a song like Seafrost that's nine minutes long that's like mm -hmm. this swirling epic tune. Nobody it's almost like a Pink Floyd song to it to to an extent. Absolutely. So anyone that bought that record for Joy Opposites or Inspire or Anchor, which was the single, that is not part of the deal. <laughs> like you know. Yeah. Yeah. It, like at all but to me it was like fuck this is great i love this there's so much that i love about this that i gravitate towards and then they started dropping the b-sides to your to your point and like their cover of like the lemon song by zeppelin and like all this really cool random shit and they were like very quietly be, like becoming one of my favorite bands without like almost subconsciously which and that's such a 
like I, the way you talk about that is something that I love so much. Cause I know not to segue out of cave in, but you know how much I love Monine oh, yeah. and it's the same thing with them for, I mean, I'm sure most people don't even remember that band anymore, but they just from sheer exposure, yeah. I just realized at one point in time when I was like, maybe 18, I was like, yeah, this band completely changed my demographic for everything. And I, I feel like the bands that do that without being like, oh my God, I love this band. Oh, you know, that kind of reaction to things, they actually last, oh, you yeah. know, like you yeah, just yeah. stick around and you keep doing it. But you're, you're absolutely right. Like, I, I think the, the story is, is they turn those demos in and something that their lawyer did ended up having the RCA buying them out. Like they weren't dropped. They got paid a bunch of money to leave and or got, something like that. And got the masters along with that, which is like, yeah, I mean, dude, it's unheard of. Like these bands that get especially wrapped up in at these that deals. time. Oh yeah, like I, I remember Incubus getting wrapped up in a deal where they were in a seven album deal. They signed a deal when they were like 15, 16 year old kids. They were making like seven cents a CD sale. That's Oof. it's criminal, and they got out of the deal. I think in, in the last like four years or something like that. So for Caven <laughs> to be not only given a buyout but also given their masters. I mean, obviously, yeah. RCA has the masters, I believe, to Antenna, but um, yeah. at least for CD and digital, I know that the vinyl was on Hydrahead. But man, that's like, it's awesome. It, it's really not. Well, it's common. just nice to hear a positive spin yeah. on something, right? Because like, I you bring up uh, Incubus. I always talk about Goo Goo Dolls because mm. Goo Goo Dolls famously have like one of the worst record deals of all time with Metal Blade. That's right. right. Yeah. Um, and because they're so close to Canada, like I, I think there's like a a general consensus that the Goo Goo Dolls are just a Canadian band. Like I know sure. so many people that just love them that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're always the bad story, but it's nice to have one that works out the other way. But Caven's the only one I know like that. And I, that's what makes them another anomaly, you know? I can't think of another. I mean, there's one, you know, where I worked with an artist once where they turned the record in and it sucked. And there was one really good song on it. And they ended up get, like, then he took the song back from the solo project to give it back to his main band, which was not signed to our label. And then he's like, we're like, Hey, so we already talked about how the rest of your record is like ass. So without that song, we don't really want to do the deal. Cause like the song was that good that we could have like forgiven it and hope for better in the future. And he was like, yeah. Hey, I totally get that. And handed back his advance. <laughs> so it's like, you, you, you love to hear it because that's just putting out a good energy or what I don't want to sound new agey, but it really is like, there's no bad juju that's going to come from that. You know, I love stories like that because you hear so many bad things and you hear so many, like, I mean, for me and my experience with like working at labels, but also just being in bands, you get an idea of how people are and then you get the real idea of how people are after you've dealt with them for a while or like bands that you think are going to be awesome to tour with that turn out to be shit. And I love when you hear the other side because it's so rare, but every time you do, it's like the best. Like, who do you know that would give back in advance? Like, come on. I know. (laughs) Like he didn't, I, I don't, it wasn't my project. I just like, I met with the artist and I heard about it direct from the person that got it back. And they're like, this is unprecedented. <laughs> like, it just doesn't fucking happen. It's amazing. Yeah. I love that. But I think like, again, that's just, like going back to cave in. That's just another example of what this band is. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to say that they don't care because they definitely do, but their indifference to what success means is such a, to me, a groundbreaking thing. Cause even like, sure. there's always the concern of like, you want people to like you or blah, 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 or whatever it is. And it's like, they just were like, this is it. Who gives a fuck? 
and it worked like yeah. it just somehow worked for them the whole time and that's just amazing like you don't you don't get that very often you don't and you you want that out of your favorite bands like like I, the way I, I always talk about it in this way where i have i love this hardcore band called propane i fucking love them there might be four of us in america that love this band and and they are my acdc i know when i get a propane record it's variations on a theme but it's a theme that i want and i get from them like they put out a record 12 bangers 36 minutes Sometimes there's two riffs a song. The like the drum roll hit halftime, and you're like, "Oh my god, that riff hits so much heavier now!" But it's the same fucking riff. <laughs> but you're like, and it's like politically charged in all the right ways, and it's like that's what I fucking want. The end. Next. I don't want. <laughs> I don't need other bands to do that. Like even Hatebreed have made strides. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I, I I want. I want a band to challenge me. I want to listen to something and not have to have to work for it necessarily, but cave in does something to me where it's like, I thought they were going to go left and they went so far right. where like, this is building to something. And when it gets there, it drops in a totally different direction. And that's, but, but at the same time, Brodsky is so influenced by, you know, and I don't want to speak for the guy, but it to me is like, I hear obviously the Beatles, Jeff Buckley, I hear, you know, Towns Van Zandt, I hear all this in, 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 in his, in his, the way that he constructs. So there's always this pop element under all the filth. And that's key because to me, mm -hmm. you can have the best fucking riffs, the production you want, everything's on point, but if you don't have a song buried in there somewhere, then what are we doing here? You know, I, I, I do completely agree because I, over my years of, of growing as a, as a person, I always kind of think back to like, like, I love heavy music, but the things that I identify, the bands that I stick with, there's still something there. There's yeah. still uh, like, you know, like what I call old school songwriting there. And like when I was growing up, like my dad is a drummer, but is a diehard just music anything. He'll listen to anything. He go, he's into it. But my mom is like, Rolling Stones and Meatloaf and things like that. And I always find myself like when I listen to Cave In, it challenges you to be okay with what you, what else you like, yeah. but also what you grew up with too. Because like you said, Brodsky's got that, um, those influences that are not always like prevalent, but are on the sleeve of what's going on or in the background of what's there. And it's, it, they, they just challenge you to keep growing with them because they're going to expose those things in different ways. Yeah. And you can't, I don't think you can be a casual cave in listener. I, I don't think you can do it. I don't think so either. And I think that, you know, obviously delving into each of their side projects, I, I was challenged sometimes too much <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> just enough. Like, you know, with, with Brodsky, there's, there was definitely, uh, I feel there was this, he just went off this way when he, I think he moved mm -hmm. to New York and it, it got very like with like stove bread ski and the octave museum, it got a little out there, but there are some like redhead butterflies. There are some fucking brilliant songs in there. And I just, like I said, clouds, Zozobra, that's more my speed when it comes to this stuff. But even like the, yeah. there's like a JQ record that John Connor, like there's so much in the Canon and in the family mm -hmm. that if you can't find something to gravitate to, there's a problem. There's a bigger problem here because there really is something for everybody in, 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 in the canon that is this band. Um, like uh, Alex, the guitar player in Sparrows, for example, his music uh, experience is very different than mine because he's four and a half years younger than me. And I'm, I'm older, like my music taste is older than my age. 
and his is right spot on for where he should be. And there are times where I'm trying to explain something to him that he doesn't get my reference, that we then have to stop that conversation so that I can show him that reference. And there's a lot of stuff in Cave In because of how much I, I, I just breathe that music where I need to reference it and then from there move backwards even farther and try and explain that whole thing to him where he's just like, oh, well, did this band do that? Yeah, I don't know, you know? So, but you, when you start to get into it, it's almost like a choice where you have to go in and find what you're going to connect with first before you can branch out. And it's funny that you say all the side projects, like my favorite um, Brodsky side project is, or record is the one he just put out a couple of years ago where it's like, honestly just kind of like him and a guitar kind of doing the thing and it's almost like he bought back into like i'm gonna write beatles songs because they're awesome i like don't get me wrong i like all his stuff but there's just something about that little section where it's almost like i've been doing mutoid man so i got all this weird shit out of the way i'm gonna write just pop songs and it's awesome totally i mean i was um and and one i think we just discovered something that now we can call this like kenny bridging the gap because that's what you're doing to your band members so um yeah I, I, now i have, i like that pun that's a good now pun. i have to make kenny listen to this episode um but but you know it, it's it's what's really interesting too is that um like a band like pet genius where that was so that was like the height of the weird i think for him but it also had it was a band like i was fortunate enough to see them once in new york it was it was pet genius and the austerity program at this shitty little bar like downstairs you could smoke in it which is like i think it was lit lounge which you, you oh. can't smoke in a place in new york. so i walked in and it's like there's no windows <laughs> it's k it's like it's like the old cavern club in, in you know the beatles are famous for so it's like curved caved walls and then they're playing and it wasn't like a packed room or whatever but it was like he was having so much fun up there and it was you just fed off that energy and it was such a good time and i think that helped at least me as a fan keep the band's momentum going in my own fandom because there was never a lack of them doing anything like the second you were quote unquote done with one project there's two more that are up for pre-order on hydrahead site or like there's like there's you know or they're putting out that that amazing fucking single or like with, with ben kohler on drums like there's there's always something they've never they've never let up even though there's there's definitely rigid gaps in their like in their chronologic career yeah, you know, you're totally right. And I've always kind of wondered to myself, uh, and it, this is just me kind of thinking based on like their experiences and everything going on, if being in Cave-In specifically is such a, like a heavy thing mm -hmm. that you need this other stuff to balance it out. Because when you think about even Mutoid Man to Cave-In, they could play on a show together and it would fit just fine. Totally. But there's Cave-In and then there's Mutoid Man. And they are, I would not, like I would describe Mutoid Man as, um, like fun exercise and i would describe cave in as like uh, like having to break down in order to do it sort of thing and i've totally. always just kind of wondered if that's why there's all these different projects outside of it where you're like old man gloom okay this is a joke doom band you know i'm doing this because being in cave in is is emotionally heavy and so i need that break or whatever it is and i like i don't think anybody's ever said anything about that or at least to my knowledge they don't but that's always in the back of my head, just kind of thinking about it, you know, like, because I, I, who else do you know that has this many side projects outside of a main band? Nobody. I mean, other than like, you know, the, the obvious ones, like a Mike Patton who just can't sit still. 
that's just a different yeah it really doesn't count (laughs) but no it's that's not a fair it it is not no but but you're right i mean and and like fuck me i forgot about old man gloom for a second because we're going through so many others and i've i've loved them since day one and that you nailed it 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 did feel like by calling it a joke doom band it is that's what it was like thematically but sonically the shit rips and then i think over time while the sense of humor is definitely not lost in like the social media posts and definitely, definitely the banter on stage. Oh God. The yeah. band has become a really serious entity. Like the two records they put out last year. I mean, that was on, you know, that was up on the top of my list. Like those records are phenomenal. And I think they've phased they out. Yeah, they're really good. And I think that they've phased out a lot of the noise like it's still there, but it's not as prevalent. It's not like, oh, cool, a 53 second like barn burner and then like eight minutes of noise. I think that they figured out the balance and maybe it's Steve or time or chops or whatever, but fuck. It's, it's got to be something because I, I do agree with you. It's like they're not trying to alienate people as much, mm-hmm. but the humor is a little more subtle in it too. Yeah. Because I, I love those two records. I, they were probably my most listened to records last year with those two, oh. arguably. Um, but the thing that kills me is I listened to uh, Light of Meaning first because I'm big. I'm like, when a record comes out, I don't really listen to the singles. I don't really, I want to hear the whole thing. I want to sit down. I'm like very, um, particular as per usual about how I listen to stuff and how I intake it and all these different things. Yeah. And I remember I'm sitting there like looking at the liner notes as this first song starts. And if you paid attention to the, the lyrics of EMF, I haven't because it's fucking hilarious. I like back. he's just screaming like random fucking words. Like it's just like, I'm sure there's a serious thing to it, but at one time he's just, he's just screaming fuck over and over again. Like, so I feel like the humor is just like a little bit, a little bit more hidden than before, Sure, but you're right. Like it's not 19 minutes of them scraping a fork against a frying pan. You know? <laughs> now that's Mike Patton. Um, yeah. <laughs> like literally once. Yes. On a second solo record. Um, but it's so, it's so funny. Quick sidebar. When I was working for universal back in the day, I was, so I'd say when I first started, I was probably 22 as first full-time job. And I remember I had just bought Christmas and Oh my God, the, nice. the album Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And I bought the pre-order package and came with like the really hideous, like black shirt with the pink bubbly writing. And, and I remember that I needed the, I needed a profile photo and it wasn't as easy as it is right now. Like if you were to take a photo and upload it, it took time. And we just moved into our new apartment and we just put like the curtains up and you know, my wife who was my girlfriend at the time was like, just get in front of this and I'll take a photo. That photo followed me around Universal for fucking 15 years. And it's just me with this stupid bottom only goatee, shaved head, and this fucking old man glimpse. So they would do these yearbooks for like big corporate, blah, 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 whatever. And it's like, nope, there's your West Coast guy in an old man gloom shirt. And it, it was just like, oh, you're the, old, what is old man gloom? I'm like, don't even worry about it. Just, no, it's just, it's fine. It's lost on you. Yeah. Like imagine, tr- I, you can't explain that to somebody that doesn't even know who Caven is. It's like a, that, that's a, that's a story that you don't want to tell. You have to start here and then go down three bars Correct. before you can get to old man gloom. Anyway, we're, we're going way off topic here. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> Which I'm all for. Um, <laughs> so, um, well, you know, it's, that's funny because I, my first um, old man gloom record was Christmas as well. I bought it by accident though. Uh, we used to have, I know you, it, Sam, the record man wasn't a thing in the States, but it's kind of the same. I know. I'm, you know what well, it is. Yeah. You know, what I it know is. what it is. Yeah. yeah. 
Sam the Record Band is kind of like Amobia, but it was a franchise in Canada. Like they were the ones where like if you wanted to get the Japanese import CD of something, they would order it for you. Got it. And I went in and I think I ordered, I want to say it was Botch. Um, and some, awesome. and Christmas came in instead. And I was like, fuck, whatever. I'll just take it. I don't care. And I think I listened to that CD maybe four months straight. <laughs> and then I at that point in time, I was working at the Bank of Canada, which is like a big government thing. And I quit that job very quickly to go on tour with another band to the point where I showed up for work the one day and didn't come in the next day. And I left a bunch of stuff behind, including that CD. And it has haunted me for years because I don't have a digital copy of it. Yeah. And so, and I'm still one of those people that fucking rocks an iPod. So I can't listen to it. Like, oh man, I, you know what? I, it's such a bummer. I bought, I bought it twice. So I will send you the files. Okay, <laughs> deal. <laughs> I'll have to turn on my my computer from 2011 to load it on my iPhone. Yeah, though, so I say that'll take a day. And a I time. say this now is all my shit stored in the Amazon cloud, which is there, but you can't add to it. It's defunct, but it's there. So let me see if okay. I can extract it, and then I will. You may have just promised me something that has full proof of that you can't deliver. That on. is correct. Yeah, yeah, that is absolutely <laughs> fucking correct. Okay, so so let's say that you were you were having that conversation and you were trying to to shape a young mind and you were trying to like get somebody into this band. Where do you start them? Song, album, like where do you even is it a, is it a playlist you make? But where do you begin? See, I think for me that depends on the person and what they are starting with. If you're dealing with a metalhead you're going to choose something different than if you're dealing with someone again, that's in say to the Foo Fighters. Right. Cause generationally, or excuse me, that didn't make sense at all. Uh, album cycle or album, you know, to album, there's such a difference. Whereas if you know someone, like if I was trying to introduce cave into John, which he clearly knows um, for him, I could start with white silence because he's into everything that goes on with there. But then there's, you know, guys that I know where I'm trying to explain to them what it is. And I'm like, you know what? Just start with Jupiter. You'll kind of figure it out. And then we'll decide if you want to go heavier or lighter. Yeah. From Wait, I mean, know. Jupiter's actually not a bad pick because I think you get the breadth of what the band, at least the early version, the breadth of what the. I feel like you get like eight out of 10 for Cave In. Yeah. You're going to get a, a most of it. It doesn't quite get super heavy, right. like to back to Until Your Heart Stops or like the seven inches and stuff. But you get enough of the uh like big riff is a pretty heavy song um i always for innuendo and out the other mm-hmm. has got its points where it's weird so like you're getting those extra little things that you can catch on to um where if you identify enough with it you know where to go from there oh yeah. you like the weird stuff let's go to white silence oh you just like the rock and roll okay let's do antenna next so you're you know? building a roadmap, so to speak Exactly. I don't think there's one that you could just start with. Like, it's just impossible at that point. I think what, what I've done, and it's probably to my, definitely to who are the listeners disadvantage. I always like trying to start somebody on dark driving. And I don't know why that's where I go. It's a great song. Yeah, no, it's a fucking amazing song. But I think because I think that people aren't going to, when you expect something out of like a band named Caven. I, I don't know. Maybe if you're, if you're like a, a country fan or you're like a, an alt singer songwriter fan or something like that, that you can't go too extreme. So you want to like, you know, dip your toe in the pool. And, but I think it's just so dark. That song to me is just so visual. I, you know what? I kind of get what you're saying with that. Um, I am like that with inflatable dream. Oh, hell yeah. Because to me, that song, it's got the heaviness, but then it, all of a sudden it cuts a line and all of a sudden it's, it's not a sing along, but it becomes 
catchier. Yeah. And when the screaming comes back in, it's almost in like a hooky sort of way. And if it wasn't for the recording quality of that, especially when you're talking about like digital from a bunch of years ago where it was pulled off of a record or pulled off of, you know, mm -hmm. MySpace or something weird like that, it doesn't sound that great. But that song to me, it's not heavy enough where you're diving back into until your heart stops, but it's also not far enough away from it that someone would identify them as say like alternative rock, you know, like, I don't know. Right. So I've always been kind of like that with that song, but I am, I'm, I really try and cater it because I want people to, to dive in like I do, you know, I want them to like really try and find their way into that discography, you know? Yeah, no, you nailed it. It's like when you, when you, this is not a knock at any of these bands. But when you look at a band like Haven, I'd say, put it right here next to a band like Typo Negative. There's, I mentioned them because it's very, it's a very divisive band. So if you listen to Typo Negative, it's like you get it or you don't. It, and it's okay if you don't. I, I, I do. And I fucking love them, but I could understand why if I showed that to somebody, they'd be like, what is wrong with you? Why are you Why would you think I would fuck with this with cave in? I feel you, there's so many ways it might not be for everybody, but there's something, there is something buried in that band's catalog that everybody could at least find something like even my wife, who is not a, a big fan. She's and when, and when she listens to this and we said, we edit it, she's going to be like, I, that is not true, but, <laughs> but, but I know, but I know that she could tolerate a song like youth Override. Like yeah. that's, that's a song that's, you know, it's just, it's a very, it's a beautiful tune. You know, it, it, it really is. And I, I would call it kind of like, inoffensive if that makes sense yes because even the recording of it is really well put together for a song like that nothing is too jarring it's got its big parts but it's still smooth you know what i mean totally like there's just something about that and i also think of like caven put that seven inch out around the release of antenna that had lift off and lost in the air oh man yeah and to me that's like a really good two song sampler for that era yes both those songs are fucking great and but that era of cave in, you got everything you need to know from those two songs. Yeah, that is, and and they're different versions that would ended up on the record. They're like, um, yes, they're thinner. They're better. They're better. But... <laughs> yeah, they, they are better. Yeah. They are better. I mean, look, it's yeah. major label money and producers, and I mean, I, I know it was Andrew was it Andrew that did that record, I think, but it's just it. it... Uh, yeah, I don't know if he did that one. Did he? I mean, it's a thick fucking record. It is. It's, you know, but these recordings, I almost feel like it's a different mix and a different master mm. because it's, it feels closer to, to a Jupiter style mix. Yes. Um, but Good I call. just think that you are, you are getting the quality of songwriting without all the extra, you know, cause they, like antenna has a lot of extra going on. Like uh, being a guitar player, there's the boss PS3 mm -hmm. all over that. And you don't realize how much that kind of walls some stuff in until you really start to focus on it, yeah. you know? And I know that for some people that can be a little bit of a turnoff, that sound that's there. Whereas these two songs don't have that. They don't have the extra. It's just, this is the song. This is the recording. This is how we did it. So, so. that's actually quick sidebar too. Now that you brought up an interesting point. So I always look at things through the filter of a drummer because that's what I was, or obviously the vocalist is just the obvious one, like where it's like, Oh, I don't like this guy's voice next. But for me, I'm always looking at things in a way like I love clutch, but clutch, especially in the earlier days would rely, the guitarist would rely so heavily on his wah wah. And it was like, or this, this, I don't, and again, I don't know what it's called. It could be something totally different, but it's like this, 
chorusy wah-wah effect on the guitar. So all these riffs just like, they could have had more identity, but they didn't because all you're hearing is the effect. And I see what mm-hmm. you're saying about caving because like for me, I'm a huge helmet fan. And if you don't like the sound or snap case, if you don't like the sound of a piccolo snare, you it's going, oh, it's yeah. going to drive you crazy, like in a sane anger kind of way. So <laughs> that's, so th- that's interesting that you bring that up because it, th- there it is the, the walling in or like, not the, I don't want to say the caving in, but like the feeling of being kind of like that oppressive feeling of the, of, of the, of the final mix and master. I do feel that a bit on that record. And I feel like they learned how to, like, I feel like it, it's really caught just by that record. Because before that record, there's very sparse use of it, if at all. It's almost like it seems like they found it somewhere in there as far as a more useful tool. But after that, its use is very, very like well-placed. It's not overbearing, but it's there where it needs to be. Um, you know, uh, on Luminance is a, is a great exe- example of that, where it's like they used it perfectly for where it should be, even though that's going backwards. But um, sure. there is like... It, there's just again I, i'm being a guitar player so i focus on this really heavily but i know some friends that are like i love that pedal and some people that when i turn it on they're like oh dude no and it's just it is what it is you know um but i do think that again as a as a, as a musician as a guitar player that is a huge draw to cave in because their guitar playing is unbelievably good but it's unbelievably unique too like their yeah. use of the two of what they do is like, I don't know who to compare them to really. Well, that's, I always wanted to hear them cover like, I don't know, fucking fear of the dark or run to the Hills because they do <laughs> that. They can do that galloping just again, definitely not going to call it by the right thing. I play guitar for fun. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but, <laughs> but, but they could, the harmonizations and the way that they fit Adam and Steve feed off each other. They could easily do that in like, a metal sense, like a traditional, like new wave of British heavy metal sense. And it makes it could almost be like a three inches of blood kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) That band's been on my mind lately. I don't know. I remember they reading an interview. um, I think it was around the time that uh, final transmission was coming out where they were just talking about, you know, old cave in stories where they would start a set by playing, you know, like a 12 minute Led Zeppelin melody of things. You know, um, or I always think that they did that split seven inch as part of the Black Sabbath uh, Hydra Head set mm-hmm. where yep. they do NIB, right? And the botch, yeah. botch does the wizard and they do a fucking great job of it. They do. Um, but I feel like they've always subtly hinted of like, we definitely listen to this, but we're not going to go full out. They're not going to go all the way with it. Yes, you know? yes. Yeah, you nailed and it. And that's almost, I almost feel like it's better. Like I like I agree with you. I would love to hear them do a Slayer song. Mm-hmm. I don't even care which one. Just do one, and <laughs> that would be really interesting to me. But I all also kind of just love the fact that they're like, we have this in our back pocket until the day we die. We can always do it, but we're gonna choose to use that influence the way that we do in what we're doing. You know? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, honestly, for them, I discovered Giant's Chair through them because of the Callus, and then them cut. Then like, I'd rather hear them doing a song like burning down the billboards if you if you want to go back to queen of eclipses then something that to your point is more oh yeah they're covering slayer they're covering sepultura i just for fun want to hear that no and i completely agree i feel like if i was at a live show and they oh, broke yeah. out you know uh rain and blood like i would be like oh fuck yeah but i don't want to hear them like 
put a recording to it. It's kind of no. like the cover of like, again, creative eclipses, the cover of magnified mm. is good, but I would also just rather listen to the failure one because their cover is very close to it. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, but, but also like, and this is what's the most wild about it. I felt the same. I feel, I don't feel, I feel the same way, but at the same time, they were like 19 years old. Like that's what's wild is that they between beyond hypothermia and all the demos and, and seven inches that made that up, especially when they had the old singer and all this, all this stuff, they were children, yeah. like actual children. Like yeah. we dressed the same, sadly. So like, I, I would see those. I'm like, Oh, I had those Lee pipes that you didn't know if you had one leg or two legs or like, <laughs> I, I wore like, you know, silver bead necklaces. Why did I do this? But like everyone fucking did it. But that's when it comes back to me that like, Holy shit. I was a, I was a kid. So they were kids because we're the same fucking age. And that's yeah. such a, I think about that a lot where the bands that now were closer in age, like a band, like, you know, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, these bands that were like, they're, those are my bands. Those are the ones that are coming up. They were like, you, you worship these bands back then being 27 it's like these fucking old assholes. And then now it's like, I'm 40 and those guys are in their mid fifties. The age gap doesn't seem quite as, as wide. And I, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I think about that a lot. Like what could you have done by that age? Like you hear some of these records, these bands have put out, like, especially a band like Nirvana or Soundgarden. It's like, they were children. Soundgarden, especially, I would agree with on that one, where they're yeah. just like, there's something about them being a little more ahead of their time musically. That it doesn't make sense. But I remember hearing, again, this might have been on a podcast that uh, Brodsky or somebody did, where they talked about uh, uh, Can Andrews came to a rehearsal of a Caven thing or whatever. And when he walked in the room, they just played that cover and then stood there and stared at him until he said something. And I just, I remember listening to that being like, that's so oh, fucking weird, but also so, so fucking weird. awesome. Yeah. So awesome. Can and, you imagine oh, <laughs> like but either or like, and now they must think back on that. Like, Oh my God. what Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a funny thing to think about. And it, it does kind of go back to where I was talking earlier, where I'm like, it, they care, but it's also, there's a vibe there where like, maybe they don't care, you know, like they, they're okay with whatever happens. Cause I can't imagine being in front of Ken Andrews and being like, all right, motherfucker, here we go. And playing one of his own songs. I'd be like, hi, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> no, it, voice teenager, you know, it was, it was, um, I was living in the Bay area. I was working for Fontana, which was uh, the indie arm for universal. And yep. Ken Andrews had a label called dinosaur fight. And he put out some of his ex-wife's record, Charlotte Martin. And he put out a brilliant solo record called secrets or, or the secrets, of the lost satellite or whatever, something like that. It's fucking great. And mm -hmm. it's like a long lost failure record, like Year of the Rabbit. It's so good. And I remember at the same time, which I shouldn't have done, but whatever, you know, didn't have a contract. I started, hindsight. I, in hindsight, my yeah. friend Tracy Wilson, um, who is uh, Ring Finger, she's in this band called Positive No. Very, her and Brodsky are very close. She's close to Aaron. She's like, like Aaron and Brodsky are on her solo debut that came oh, out cool. through, that came out through Magic Bullet. And we just worked together. She was a sales rep on the East Coast. I was a sales rep on the West Coast we started a little indie label, which she still operates called little black cloud. And she ended up putting a Brodsky uh, EP out after I'd kind of like parted ways with her on it. But the, my whole idea, the whole time, the only reason I wanted to do this is because I was connected to Ken Andrews. She was connected to Steve Brodsky. I wanted them to cover each other on a seven inch. Oh, that would have been so cool. And <laughs> it just didn't, I mean, I, 
it didn't even get off the ground. Like Steve was like, nah, I don't know. And then I was like, well, I can't ask Ken if you're not in. And like, so, but like, that was the whole point of starting the damn label and investing like the few dollars I had. And then oh, I'm like, oh, that kills me. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know, so hindsight, hindsight yes. Yeah. So, um, so, and obviously, like I was going to ask you what you would have discussed if we weren't going to discuss Caven, but I feel that would have been Monine. There is three bands that I consider um, like stalwarts. I'll take them to the grave. Planes mm. with for Stars, Monine, and Caven. There's other stuff that I like. Awesome. I love this is band from Canada called Cursed. I don't know if you ever ran into them. Oh, fuck Fucking, yeah. I mean, it's really hit and miss. Sometimes I'll talk to people that I expect to know them and they're like, who the fuck's that? Uh, I love that band, but it's a there's a lot of stuff that I like a lot, but then there's stuff that I'm like, mm. and like Monine, for example, I have everything you can think of cave in. I'm like two thirds of the way through getting all of it. Cause there's just so much more there's you know, so records much. and, and uh, bootlegs and all these different things. Um, and that's part of another part of why I like them is because I feel like I'll always be searching and that's great. Every time I go to New York and, you know, go to a very shameless promo for my friend Christian's record store limited to one. Every time I go there, Oh, he's the fucking best. He, I am slowly begging him to release some of his cave in records that he's holding on to. I just subtly bring it up every once in a while. And I feel like it's going to come out. Uh, but I've got a lot of seven inches from him because he, he gets them and he, he lets me know. And I obviously buy them immediately. Um, but cave in, I would say, especially in the last five to eight years uh, of really diving in heavily after I kind of started to revisit has become the top because I'm still finding stuff. Every time yeah. I listen to it, I'm finding something that I like more. When I'm writing music, I find myself going back to different records and different parts and different things and figuring this stuff out. And because they're such a strange band, they play in different tunings and they play in all these different stuff. There's just always something that I can be learning from. And there's not a lot of bands that have a discography like that, that I am that invested in. So you nailed it. And I think, you know, to your point about them always putting out stuff like that around that time between antenna and the perfect pitch black era, let's say like that four year kind of thing, maybe between antenna and the single, they were putting out the anomalies volumes, live airwaves. I mean, it, it can obviously go back to like even the moons of Jupiter EP, but like they were always, and you dig, or I'd have to order it through mail order through sometimes through Caven's website, not even Hydrahead, and, or through some other like, you know, smaller imprint or some smaller label or themselves. Like I said, this stuff's starting to trickle out onto streaming services at like live airwaves is up there. It's, it, but you're right. Like even me, I've been a fan for 20 plus years. I'm still searching for stuff. Yeah. And there, th- yeah, th- it's like you always want to have, even for Faith No More, it's my favorite band. I just recently found like, to me, which was like, if there's other things that I already have. Those are like the things that people like, oh my God, you have the King for a Day seven inch box set. I'm like, well, I'm old. I got it when it came out. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I've been searching for this picture disc of the real thing. Like it's like the, it's, it's shaped like the flame on the cover of the album. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard to find, but it's expensive. I found a cheap one that was dirty. I cleaned it. It's fine. But like, <laughs> that's all I like, but, but that's what I'm saying is that like those bands that continue like to me, it's a challenge. Like I don't need to have every fucking 12 inch that ever like was a promo for like a radio station, but the official and unofficial stuff that has B sides, remixes, acoustics. I want all that shit for these bands and these bands only. 
I, you know what, and I, that's part of what I really enjoy about being a music fan. Like I'm a little psychotic. I think I probably hinted at it at this point when it just comes <laughs> to music in general. Like I, I'm just, it is what it is, but it's the thing that I can also share with other people without having to then bring them into how psychotic I am, you know? Oh yeah. Being able to talk about records and talk about these different things. And like, as weird as it is to be an adult and say this, like I'm in a Facebook group that is Caven related where people share all the other stuff that's there. Things I haven't been able to find that don't exist physically anymore, you know, or like are incredibly hard to, but I still have the recording, which is yeah. awesome. And that's kind of what, you know, at the end of the day, kind of keeps it more interesting. It's like, not only am I still finding stuff in the music, but I'm also physically still finding it, which is amazing. You Wait, know, I have, certain... I have to join this group. I'll add you to it. It's great. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, hilariously, <laughs> I think it's run by somebody that lives in Hamilton, which is like 40 minutes from here. Right. <laughs> uh, which I thought was very funny because I did, like the, the Toronto show here. There was some people there. I called it dad's night out because it was a lot of like 45 to 55 year old guys. Mm -hmm. and some of them had their like kids with them sort of thing Aww. and i love that because we it was the same thing when quicksand came through it was oh, yeah. like a lot of dudes it was just the best because it was a lot of people that like canadian hardcore guys that i grew up with or i was like holy shit kyle bishop's there you know like people, right right you know what i mean our big deal to me as a teenager we're all there yeah, of course fun. but also like I, I just don't think there's the same fandom as there is in the states especially in the northeastern u.s you know so Absolutely. um knowing that there is somebody else in Canada, at least that is spearheading this whole thing. It's kind of a nice feeling for me. It reassures yeah. me a little bit. <laughs> it, is, it, it is some nice like country pride and reassurance. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I should be upset by that or not, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay with I, it. I think it's totally fine. <laughs> um, so my last question for you, I always love to leave this for last. What, what is the strip club anthem? What's the sexiest cave-in song? It's always followed by a silence. You know, that's, that's a hard one because I, in my head, I'm always like, can you imagine someone getting down to trepanning? Like that would be hilarious. I, now I actually can. But that's what I'm thinking about is like, I don't want to see someone nail it. I want to see someone struggle, you Ooh, know, or like yeah, halo. Yeah. What is it off of uh, until your heart stops? Halos of halos halo of flies. Oh, halo imagine flies, that yeah. in the middle, there's just a drum break. Like, right. yeah, okay, what are you going to do with that part? Just sit there and, like, help yourself to somebody else's drink? I don't know. Like, there's just some, like, <laughs> kind of um, fun little awkwardness that I think I would be way more invested in. But, like, if you had to pick something, I, I'm, like, I'm sure there's a weird Brodsky song in there that would work pretty well. I was going to say, but your idea is good. I think you've now created some sort of alternate, like, universe TikTok campaign for Kaven. Like, I mean, listen, I'll just take test presses as a payment. Like, no problem. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we just gotta, no money. Just give no. me some test presses, maybe a, maybe a ticket to a show, and we're good. Yeah, in <laughs> return for, for a strip club TikTok promotion. I, might, I mean, I'll even be the person in the promotion. Like, yeah, I, it's fine. fine. I have no problem taking my sweater off. It's fine. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to this. <laughs> <laughs> listen, it's three degrees here right now. That's totally oh. Celsius. Celsius. No, right, right. Yeah. But that's still fucking cold. It's like it no. was eight, 84 no. today. What is this winter Fahrenheit, which is fucking hot? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't want that. Uh, but, dude, I can't thank you enough for this. This has been awesome because, like, like I said at the top of this, this is a band that I'm so passionate about and have been for, you know, over half my life. And 
people there's no middle of the road fans i think for this band at this point either you are all in or you don't know they exist and after what they've been through with you know with caleb and what they've been through with major label strife and and just you know starting and stopping and 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 not, not being a band and being a band i'm just so stoked for what the next chapter is for them and i'm so excited that, that you and i got to talk about this i'm just glad there is a next chapter too because if you th- like yeah. you just said there were so many instances where it could have stopped and would totally have made sense. Like no mm-hmm. one would have given them a hard time. Like Caleb passing, even then that would have been a final nail, no problem. Oh, yeah. And no one would have been upset about it in the sense of like, yeah, that makes sense to stop the band. But the fact that it still seems like, 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 I mean, I sent you that thing on Instagram. Like it seems like they're doing something else again it's it's just it's it's nice to be passionate about something that is still giving you that passion back a hundred percent could not agree more and yeah i think they now feel the love whether it's you know what we'll see where it goes next i think they're gonna get weirder i think it's gonna get more diverse and i am fucking here for it but oh yeah Dan, thank you so much. I will tag you uh, if you'd like and uh, and Sparrows when I post all this, but please check out Dan's band Sparrows, one of my favorite. It was a, it was a complete joy to get like even a, a sliver of being able to work together in like the the two days that we got together at, <laughs> at Dynalone Records back in the day. And, uh, and I'm so stoked that we've become friends over the years and we get to dork out on stuff like this, man. It's been an honor. Honestly, it's the best. I, I'm there's not a lot that I hold very dear about working with Dying Alone. It was definitely a learning experience, but some of the people that I am still in touch with, it, there's a reason. And that's definitely you as well. And um, it, it's just I, like, I just like being able to talk to someone that's actually a music fan. It's not just business. It's not just yeah. bullshit. Like you actually just give a shit and that's nice. Most it's not that, don't. it's not that hard. If I wanted no. to, I think if any of us wanted to not to insult your former employer, but we get a job at the bank of Canada. I mean, that had its own pluses, but we'll <laughs> dig into that. Well, the next podcast that's about finances or something. It's about finance, you know sure. Which yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. going to fail that miserably. The American and Canadian dollar. I don't fucking know. <laughs> if we still, <laughs> if my country still exists by the time we do this again, you're on. Big deal. <laughs> Dan, thank you so much, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, man. Thank All you, right, man. Of course.